Hello and welcome to week eight of Star Trek Sundays in the Star Trek Sundays Club on Clubhouse. Today we're going to be discussing the calculus of war and some of the Star Trek episodes in which this theme is presented. I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a passion project for T and me and forms part of a new podcast and YouTube channel. We also have little teasers on Instagram and we're using uh, Twitter and Facebook as well. So wherever you uh, are comfortable on social media, hopefully we'll be there as well. Let us know if you don't see us. I really enjoyed this week's episodes and can't wait to dive into the topic, strangely, for war. But for now, I'm going to turn the mic over to T. Thank you, Victoria. The topic of the calculus of war is an idea I picked up watching the original series as a kid. In one of the episodes, war is conducted using math equations alone, and it got me thinking about what a calculated enterprise, war, and conquest was. Now, I'm old enough to have lived through a major resource-based war, and I remember well the uncertainty of not knowing what it meant to be at war. Are we safe? Was the city we are going to live in get bombed? The city we're living in going to get bombed? What exactly is the equation for who lives and who dies in a war? And who's bold enough to even attempt such a calculation? The more I thought about the topic in terms of the world of Star Trek, the more parallels with our own world I saw. So I hope that we can have a good discussion today about what war means to us. So thank you, T. That was that was great. I What I had said was... Um, given what you just said, the, um, the episodes that you chose were really great and they were all complex, um, bringing up lots of different thoughts and and feelings for sure. So, uh, this is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse and we're discussing the calculus of war and, uh, I'll be bringing people up to the stage to share your thoughts in a few minutes. We'll move through the episodes with an aim to wrap up the specifics by about the 80 minutes mark, after which T will provide us with a briefing on upcoming shows And then we'll move into a looser discussion. T, let's start with a taste of Armageddon. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it, what that was about and what we saw? And then uh, I have a few questions for you. Definitely. The taste of Armageddon was from the original Star Trek season, excuse me, Star Trek series. The first season, episode 23. First episode... Uh, first aired on the 23rd of February, 1967. So in this episode, the crew visited a planet on a diplomatic mission that is waging a destructive war fought solely by computer simulation. But the casualties, including the crew of the USS Enterprise, are supposed to be real. And the planet attempts to enforce those casualties. Well, I chose this episode because this was the one I remember from my childhood that had such a unique take on how war is waged. The idea of murder by numbers, like the police song, seems horrible and yet strangely attractive when you consider the alternative of bloodshed and destruction. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um... Yeah, this was one of my favorite watch experiences so far. And and I'll admit that was due in part to how Bondi and the music and outfits were. Uh, I found it super groovy. 
And I am looking forward to the other original series episodes that we have planned. At first, I thought that the leaders of MNER 7 were faking a war. Like I thought that it was just a fake war and and that they weren't really at war with somebody. Um, But then it became clear that it was an agreed war in which people were conditioned to go to their death willingly in order to save the amenities of their society. And that shook me up a little bit. Um, so my question to you is if you were a world leader on the verge of war and you had to choose between a war of bloodshed and bombs in which you might have a strategic advantage, but are guaranteed heavy casualties or a war of numbers with no strategic advantage, but casualties will be minimized, which would you choose? It's a tough question. And I am tempted to say that I would choose the strategic advantage despite the casualties because i think that my army would go into battle knowing that these casualties are the cost of freedom a a war by numbers where the 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 odds are even through some statistical model or something it, it seems inhuman it seems like um, you know, a situation where if we could agree to that type of situation, we could agree to just about anything, right? We, we would have advanced our, our need to even conduct a war. So I, I think that even if we were to, you know, choose the war by numbers, there would be some foul play in some, in some way. There would be some corruption. It would ultimately lead back to that that war by force that war by you know death and destruction and so i think i would just as a leader choose that go with a strategic advantage try for a quick war and stop whatever threat it is that you know that is threatening us because the the war by numbers just it it feels to me like rolling the dice and it doesn't feel like people would accept that. Yeah, I, I found this hard to wrap my head around a little bit. Um, at first, uh, you know, like Spock, I found uh, this logical in some way and wondered why both sides were willing to have such a clean war and stick to their agreements when they could simply just stop or take advantage of the other. Uh, neither side was gaining ground. I mean, I didn't really know what the purpose. They were both losing people only. That was all they were losing was people. And I wondered for what purpose. And and then it was just that this was conditioning. They kept saying, we've been doing this for 500 years, 500 years. Um, I really liked this quote um, from the, the show. It was between Spock and Anon Seven. And uh, it was on the voluntary disintegration of citizens declared to be casualties of war. And and Anon Seven even said that last year he lost his wife. It blew my mind, but... Uh, Spock says, there's a certain scientific logic about it. And Anand Seven says, I'm glad you approve. And Spock says, I do not approve. I understand. And, um, and that really, really hit me. Um, it, it, it still is, is, is shocking to me, but it, you know, it was supposed to be this, these episodes are supposed to make us think and, and, uh, supposed to make us, uh, wonder about these things. So, um, I just, 
this whole I I do not approve, I understand. I, I wondered if, if that struck you the same way it did me. It was absolutely one of the most critical pieces of the writing because I think there were some really important quotes in here in which the writers were highlighting how we need to think about our actions, how we need to consider why we're going to war, how we can stop ourselves from going to war. How can we better accomplish our, our goal without killing each other? And I think that that was what Spock was really trying to, trying to highlight in a good way. Is he was saying, you know, I don't approve, I understand. He, he isn't saying that he thinks that they are, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the, 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 the right thing, but they are doing something that he understands what they're doing. And I think that, you know, the, the point that he was trying to make was that I don't approve because I think that there are better ways of going about it, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I really encourage those um, who are following along and uh, and haven't watched the episodes to even go back and watch the episodes after um, after these discussions we have, because when we go into these episodes thinking about this theme, it really does put a spin on it, uh, and you really appreciate the writing. I think a little bit more uh, in in many ways. And so um, certainly it's fun to watch before these shows uh, or these uh, podcasts, but go ahead and watch them afterwards. And, uh, and then, you know, let me know in the back channel or comments or whatever about what you thought about it. Um, Cause I, I really love looking at them with this specific uh, topic in mind. Uh, welcome to the stage, Sean and Steve and the director and Charlotte. Uh, when you came up, I did mute you right away. Um, and uh, certainly uh, we want to get everybody's uh, information. If you do have a, an issue with using a mute button for whatever reason, let me know and you can stay unmuted so long as there's no background noise. Um, so I'll just uh, I'll put this question uh, to the rest of you as well um, and, and ask if you remember the episode. But if you were a world leader on the verge of war and you had to choose between a war of bloodshed and bombs in which you might have a strategic advantage but are guaranteed heavy casu casualties or a war of numbers with no strategic, strategic advantage but casualties will be minimized, which would you choose? Um, let's go uh, to you, Sean, first. Thank you, uh, Victoria. I do remember this episode. I thought it was quite clever. And I thought, wow, what an interesting way to have a war. Uh, you know, no messy bombing of buildings like we did in World War II, where we just blasted the German cities to the point where they couldn't hold the war anymore and, you know, lost. But uh, again, and, and I agree with what Spock said. I understand what he said and what the writers had Spock say in this episode. But you would think that hey, if you can agree and be at peace with each other to follow the constraints of the computer picking out where the next hit was and where the people were going to be killed that had to go to the chamber to be annihilated, why couldn't you just agree not to have the war in the first place? And, you know, if there's some type of agreement and um, cooperation there, you, you'd think that after a long time you could expand that into peace. 
And that's what didn't seem quite logical, that they were still stuck into this uh, computer war with real deaths. That's what I got out of it. And, you know, maybe that's the illogic or that's why it's showing us this, the, the illogic of this continuing computer-selected war. And I'll land my spaceship with that. Oh, thank you, Sean. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to mix it up here a little bit. <laughs> so, Steve, you're going to be next here, and you can you can answer that question um, as well. And um, and and I'll put it to first of all, I'm going to put it to T, and and then we'll and then we'll go to to Steve. You know, there was this quote that was um, at the end that really was a punch in the gut to me. You hear, hear me say this a lot through watching Star Trek. And um, it was Kirk persuading Anna and Seven to make peace. And he says, we could admit that we're killers, but we're not going to kill today. That's all it takes. And I was just like, oh, oh great. And, and my question is, is that all it takes? And do we think we could actually get to the point where humans don't kill each other? Um, certainly in this situation, because they had already been agreed that they wouldn't do anything else except just agree when they were going to kill people. How they did that, I don't know. But um, T, I, I wonder, is that all it takes? Uh, and then I and then I want to move to to Steve, the director, and Charlotte, and and they can answer either of those questions or a mix of both. Yeah, there's um, there's actually a, a, a concept in game theory called perto optimality, in which um, the deal can't be changed without negatively impacting uh, some party of the deal, right? So when perto optimality is achieved, you know, there's there's no better solution that's going, not going to take away. There might be a better solution, but it's going to take away from somebody else, right? Um, and so I think that if we can, when we achieve perto optimality, that's where we can find our agreement. So all it takes is us to, all it takes is for us to find our perto optimality in a solution where we don't kill each other in order to achieve our, our mutual goals. And now we can start to move forward. There's obviously going to be, you know, cooks and killers in, in, in the small, right? But I think that that's what is required to stop the armies from marching against each other. That's what it requires to stop, you know, the bombs from dropping on cities, as it were. Um, is it, it, it requires us uh, achieving parato-optimality on the side of no killing. And so, yes, but it's hard. It's a tricky thing to do. That parto optimality, it, when uh, when people aren't dying, might not exist, right? It might always be the case that somebody feels like they're going to get a better deal by killing someone, right? And they might feel that that's going to take away less in order to give them more, because these people are already killers and they're already, you know doing their thing and this is why we're going to war in the first place is to stop these people so it's always that calculus it's always that equation it's always that where does the balance lie where can we find that solution where nobody is made happier and by changing the deal and that's where we're going to go and where can we find it where we don't kill each other 
right it's it's you... complex yes as steve i i wanted to welcome you and put those questions to you um that you can respond to t as well but if you were a world leader on the verge of yeah. war which would you choose and and is that all it takes so if you'd like to to answer those questions and respond to t that'd be great I um yeah I I watched the the um Taste of Armageddon episode now I've been stuck trying to watch the original Star Trek and have yet to really get through it um uh, or even past like the first five episodes um but I really appreciated having this one pointed out to me to just jump ahead because it's a it's a good one I really like the whole concept of okay so there's these people who have calculated the war already as far as they're concerned and they um they are are just killing themselves off to satisfy the numbers in the computer i feel like the writing of it must have been really difficult because i notice so much in there just exudes the uh, uh contradiction like the outright contradiction that would prove that this system would never work it would never be a case uh, uh or at least the way it was uh drawn out here um, because like from the very get-go in order to carry out this uh this this mass uh suicide right of of people um you have to lie to the enterprise and to the diplomat from the federation um in order to get them to come down it's like okay wait but where in all of that was any effect or purpose to the the war itself um do you even remember if your war had a purpose or if you were fighting for anything in, important? Um, and so I am definitely uh, one to side with uh, Kirk on that decision. I would totally. So first of all, the fact that it was able to go on for so long suggests it doesn't minimize casualties at all. It has a slower rate, but a longer term of constant murder. And uh, as opposed to the short, I'm just going to go fuck shit up and see what happens kind of attitude. Um, in fact, if your enemy is taking too much time to calculate before you make a move, Alexander the Great made a great point. Speed is the greatest virtue, especially in war. Right. So I am just much more, more of the uh, look, this is what we do. Uh, to to gain the advantage when it seems like there's no hope you fuck shit up and then ruin the odds that your enemy thought they were they had in favor against you so i i uh, so i i definitely would choose uh the kirk side so the director uh i'll just throw it out to you generally because um i don't have to explain this stuff to you um what are your thoughts on this episode and the the topic right now I mean, um, it, I don't want to steal discordance um, thunder, but they pointed out um, that we have actuaries where we calculate the value of human loss to uh, whether or not we will get sued and have an economic loss associated with the loss of the human. So it, it is a game that we play um in in the civilian world uh, more so than in the military world but often when we go to war there are calculations where we know roughly what our uh rate of exchange in the conflict will be how many soldiers to uh soldier ratios how many aircraft to aircraft uh shoot downs would occur 
um, the effectiveness of our munitions on ground troops. So uh, what they've done is they've removed all the actual and just translated it to the base nature of efficiently killing the appropriate number of people to achieve a strategic advantage. Um, except for they've divorced even the strategic advantage from from this, and it's more just a population control uh, rather than a state of war. Um, but it does the idea of the experiment uh, that I think that the episode is meant to be is to um, illustrate the starkness of of the calculations that we make about war and whether or not they serve a purpose um, in in the desired outcomes that we may have. Um, uh, you know, if, if yeah, I, I don't know. My, my questions about the validity of war are um, ex exacerbated by this concept because I think that it is one that we we do employ ex except for we want to see things go boom because um, it's very satisfying to watch something go boom. Uh, and the idea that our stuff somehow needs to outlast the, the flesh um is also not in in conflict with humanity um except for when you have uh barbarians that destroy um cultural artifacts um as a statement of propaganda um so i i don't know like would i rather have the whole of human history um uh encapsulated in the buildings that they built or would I rather have the temporal existence of human flesh respected? That, that's, a, that's a question every um, person that decides if war is valuable probably should be engaging. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm going to hire you as a question writer. That is, uh, that's really deep. I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, that. I'm glad that you asked that and it gives me more to think about what discordant had written in the chat and what the director um, aimed at reminded me of uh, a car company from a few years ago, a few decades ago who did just that. So um, Charlotte, welcome again. Thank you for coming. What are your thoughts on, on this topic at the moment? Well, thank you, Victoria. And my thoughts, as I'm sure you know me, uh, I, I have quite a bit to say about this subject, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to focus on just a few things. And, and first of all, um, I, I dig this room because there's just so many ideas, and um, also celebrating Star Trek is, is near and dear to my heart. In 1967, um, you know, we in, in the United States were in the middle of what was known as the Vietnam conflict. It wasn't even identified as a war. And, and I think that there's, there's a lot of indications when there is uh, uh, conversations about um, resolving conflict that uh, leads us up to war, and that's the most important thing that I tend to focus on 
both way back when in 1967 when I was age five. Remember that um, you know Star Trek is where we went with our heads as children to understand what conflict was and how it was resolved because Star Trek made sense out of human beings and out of others. Um, it, it gave us a place to connect because while in, in, in the state of, of war in, in a country where we're focused on separating and isolating, when war happens, it's because there has been a failure to resolve conflict. And so whatever practices happen are based on the leaders who are making these choices. Now in this country, remember we started off in this country by, by kidnapping people and by kicking people off of this land. Indigenous people were shoved aside for colonialism. You know, so, so for our reasons for war are the things that I tend to focus on first and foremost. The Vietnam War in 1965 was started as a blip on a screen, a radar screen that was misidentified as the enemy. It was started over a rumor. The commander on the ship in the Gulf of Tonkin who was in command of that ship where the, the blip on the screen was detected was the father of Jim Morrison of The Doors, the lead singer of The Doors. Jim Morrison had a lot to say about his old man because of this. And they had their own little conflict, their own little war between father and son about this. But also um, in 1967 we had a president in the United States who was afraid of failure. His boss had just had his, his, had just been assassinated. He had taken over and um, he had a country that was concerned about him being a liberal and being too soft. And so I think that a lot of our reasons for going to war is fear of how we're going to be perceived if we don't take action, a lot of ego. Um, I think that there's also a great deal to be said about the, the, the destruction that happens and when is the conflict truly over. People have said about the Seven Day War that it took seven days to have that, that, uh, that combat happen and um, the eighth day of the war had been fought for so many years afterwards. Um, so I have, uh, I, I was on active duty uh, during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. We didn't know why the hell we were going over there. We just felt that it was oil. I still do. Um, and then in um, the follow-up to the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, um, I met with people who worked at the Pentagon and the, the, the overriding um, interpretation as to why Bush went to war, a preemptive strike um, type of war, was because he felt that his father was weak in, in how he addressed the Persian Gulf War, Gulf I, and he wanted to be the person to write his father's heirs. I say these things today because so often we start talking about the numbers and the ground that's, that's gained. 
when we we actually lose focus of the reasons why this conflict occurred. And um, so I tend to speak to that. Or any other veterans, any other combat veterans, I hope that you accept my words and my interpretation of how I view this subject um, uh, with, with you know, the utmost acceptance that you can pull out. <laughs> because um, when it comes right down to it, uh, too many times wars have started over misinterpretations, uh, over ego struggles, and the inability to resolve conflict. Now, I'm going to land there temporarily now, and, and I'd like to join in later on. So anyway, thank you for the opportunity to share. I'm listening. Uh, Charlotte, uh, thank you once again for um, putting things in context. You have a um, talent for that, that I really appreciate uh, in this space. And um, you're, you're, I really, really appreciate that. T, did you want to make a comment before I move on? Well, I just, I think we, it was an incredible summary and really, really a great, re really great framing of, of the situation that we were in when the writers were putting this out because I thought there was some really deep quotes. There was some really deep thoughts that went into this about, about exactly the type of things that you're talking about, about the incompetence of the situation that we were in. And so I just, I really appreciate your, what you said, Charlotte. Yeah, so um, Steve, if you can hang on for just a, a minute. Um, I did want to move to Discordant Rhyme um, because of um, what they had said in the chat about numbers. And it reminded me of uh, Lee Iacocca, I think, was the uh, chairman of a automobile company um, in the 70s. And these automobiles were blowing up on people and killing people. And they had to decide whether they were going to recall the the vehicles or not and they had decided not to recall the vehicles because that was going to cost them more than paying out lawsuits for the people who died or were injured by the exploding vehicles and uh, that was really the reason I remember that is uh, I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe that that was the decision when I learned about this. Uh, I learned about it after the fact, didn't understand it while it was happening. But, um, but you're right, those calculations are made all the time. So I wanted to invite Discordant Rhyme to uh, comment on that. And then we're going to move on to the next um, episode. All of this sort of flows into, um, into a bigger discussion and it kind of will meld into it, but let's get through the episodes. I want to welcome Stooby-Doo to the stage as well. And, uh, and I don't want to bypass the uh, colonialism and, and wars that uh, affected that. Uh, I want to get onto that as well. So uh, discordant rhyme, if you can just talk about the numbers, uh, that would be, that would be great. Thanks for bringing me on the stage. Is my audio all right? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Uh, I don't know that I have anything more to add, honestly. I think that uh, the director and Charlotte expanded perfectly on my original point. 
Um, and as you just said, with regards to Lee Iokoka, there are plenty of examples over the last 50 years, honestly, that, um, that perfectly illustrate this kind of bloodless calculation that goes on, you know, in certain power structures. And, and Charlotte, just uh, with regards to your background, I was in the Golan Heights with the UN in 1987. And there are 25 Canadian airmen buried in the Gaza Strip. So every year, the, uh, the, the Canadian delegation that sits on the um, area of separation, or used to sit on the area of separation between Syria and Israel, put together a collection of soldiers and we would drive out to the Gaza Strip on November 10th so that we could have the November 11th parade to honor uh, these, these dead airmen. That particular year on November 10th, uh, a student in the West Bank was killed by Israeli security forces and kicked off the Intifada. And when we were going down the street in our big, white, brightly painted UN bus, we started getting pelted with rocks by the, by the students that were in the alleyways and on the street because we weren't made aware. You know, there was no social media. We had no idea what was really going on in the Strip and, and how tempers had flared and that they were rallying around you know, the murder of this student for no other reason than she just tried to upset the power structure, I guess. And as we know, that situation just continues to worsen. Um, with regards to it, some of the stuff that T has said, a greater meta point I also wanted to make. He talks about the writers and the ideas that they put into the dialogue. I think it's a hallmark of very good writing that 50 years later, we can look at these episodes and set aside what anybody thinks of the original effects or, or William Shatner's acting and see, see themes and, and points that the original writers may or may not have intended, but because they have these, this original thought provoking premise, you can continue to expand it and apply it to modern situations. That episode is just as relevant now as it was when it aired. And that's uh, all I wanted to say. Thank you very much for having me on stage. Uh, thank you, Discordant Ron. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, it's funny that you say that it's, it's relevant. I, I just read, I'm not the uh, Star Trek expert here. I'm a fan, uh, but uh, T is the expert. But I believe there is a Deep Space Nine episode that is referenced to this episode as well called Armageddon. So we'll have to look that up and maybe bring that into a, a later show. Um, let, let's move on a little bit because I'm just looking at the time and uh, I do want to get to some of these bigger discussions. And uh, but But we did... Uh, prepare and and watch a couple of other episodes um t if you want to comment on what's been said that'd be great and then um and then going into a summary of yesterday's enterprise uh i'd really appreciate that yeah i mean the um the discussion so far has been just amazing i think people have really understood you know what i mean by the calculus of war in, in a very intuitive way and the discussions around it have been so on point. I just want to thank everybody because this is the discussion I was hoping to have and you guys nailed it as usual. We're in your debt. 
Let's talk about um, yesterday's Enterprise. Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 15. First aired on the 19th, on 19th of February, 1990. So, in this episode, while investigating a temporal rift, the Enterprise encounters a ghost from its own past, the USS Enterprise C, which travels 20, 22 years into the future and changes the course of history. So with the flow of history changed, Tasha Yar still lives, and the Federation is losing a decades-long war with the Klingon Empire. So I chose this episode because the Enterprise isn't supposed to be at war, and hard calculations have to get made as Yar has to face impossible odds, knowing that she won't survive. Thank you. That's um, that's great. Yeah, this um, this episode, like some of the other time travel ones, um, kind of does a, a, a little bit of a, a, a confusion for me at first. But I get into it, uh, and I'll I'll get used to them. Um, I did find that um, the uh, the sacrifice she made it reminded me of looking back to when we did sacrifice of leadership as well um, because she knew what, what it was going to mean and the trust that she had in Guinan as well was interesting. The trust that Captain Picard had um, of Guinan was interesting. And I, I wondered how, how we would go about that now. I mean, at that time they would have in the show, they understood time travel and, and experienced it a little bit more than we would today, I guess. Um, so I, I do wonder if our military would, would trust that um, or whether they'd think everybody was just on mushrooms or something. Um, so Tasha Yar saw the equation of war and she sacrificed herself to balance that. Um, do you think in the future we will build mathematical models and decide to sacrifice ourselves as a result of their answers? I do, and I think that um, this is a question that Isaac Asimov dared to ask um, in Foundation, where Harry Seldon created a, a model of, that predicted the collapse of the empire and a dark age that would ensue. Um, and, and I think that, you know, when, when, we get our, when we get these models right, it's important, and we will place a lot of trust in these models. We will um, get better at modeling reality, and we will sacrifice ourselves for these outcomes. I think in a lot of ways we already do, and we don't already know it, um, but I think there's been some good examples of that given on stage already. So I think that that will become more prevalent as time goes on. I think that these um, equations that we, the, the models that we build about reality and the, the you know, the, the, the models that we build about our wars and everything and doing all of that, that will become more standard. It'll become more normalized. And I think we'll start to do something closer to war, you know, war by numbers as it was sort of radically envisioned in the the first episode where people really do 
you know, go willingly into a sacrifice, knowing that this is part of how the the equation of war is balanced, like Tasha Yar did in the second episode. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was thinking about this, I, I wondered myself, but, you know, as we get conditioned to think certain ways, um, you know, like the, the people in the previous episode uh, were conditioned to just know this is what they need to do. Um, it it seemed maybe maybe people would be able to do it. It seems hard for me to understand that. And yet in, in our last uh, episode when we were talking about uh, the right uh, to life and death, um, everybody was saying that they wanted their death to mean something. Um, you know, obviously it, it might not mean something if you've lived a long life and you fall uh, and you die in your sleep. But um, but I remember that, and I remember Steve. You had said that you wanted your death to be meaningful. So I want to jump to you, and and then uh, maybe pull in uh, Sean, and then we'll go to Stu. Uh, Stu. But uh, do you think in the future we'll build mathematical models and decide to sacrifice ourselves as a result of their answers? It's, it's really great to bring it around to this because that, that was, uh, I, I took notes this time. So I, I now have a list of things that I wanted to say before um, related to this. Um, uh, so f to answer your question, um, I think there is going to be a better math for it. But I, I do think that the, the psychohistory kind of idea I doubt it'll ever really be achieved. I, I, I think it's great T brought up a foundation for that reason. It's like this idea that you can calculate what will happen in the future um, is really preposterous, like at every angle, uh, because there's so much chaos uh, to, to predict about the future. Um, and that'll be relevant when we bring up the third episode as well for today. Um, uh, so I, I wanted to bring up uh, earlier, the 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 quote from Kirk in in our first episode that we talked about. Um, I am a barbarian, and I intend to prove it to you. That was that was so badass. Like, I want to remember that one that that one for uh, a lot of future conversations. Um. Uh, so I would say I would point out um, when it comes to these calculations of war, if you're actually calculating the likelihood of the outcome of the war and you're convinced by it, why even have the killing aspect, right? Like the other person's death is useless to you unless they are outright threatening you. But if you already have this agreement, like you pointed out, Victoria, well, then nobody has to actually die. You just like you win some resources out of it or something, right? Or, or maybe you get to assimil assimilate a population into your culture. I don't see why that's um, refused so much. Like if you really believe in some ideology or some, some culture of your own, uh, some beliefs or values of your own, then have an academy where people are able to just freely go into and assimilate into your um, convictions and your beliefs. And there you go. You've got more people on your side, which is always like human beings are a resource to other human beings. Like we wouldn't be having this discussion about wars and societies if it weren't for the fact that people are valuable. Um, <laughs> okay. You know? I, yeah. I, um, I, I'm, I'm catching what you're throwing down completely. Um, 
I do want to keep this flowing because um, well, I know you know you have, you have a lot to say on it, and I'm glad that you're taking notes because I take notes too. And we're going to continue the conversation uh, even after I sort of wrap up the the podcast part. Um, but um, do you? I want to know what you think about the specific question. If 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 it's relevant to you, do you think in the future we'll build mathematical models and actually have humans decide to sacrifice ourselves as a result of their answers? Uh, that, that's a big no. I don't think it'll happen at all. Like it, it'll really? be destroyed as soon as it's created. Wow! Wow! Okay, great. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Okay, great. Well, we'll get into some of the other stuff that you uh, mentioned uh, a bit later on as well. So thank you very much. Uh, Sean, what do you think about that question? I agree. I put the down hand, but I wasn't disagreeing with what he said. I, I agree. I don't think that's going to happen. Interesting. And I don't have anything really to say on this episode either. Um, I was sitting here while uh, I was watching clips of it on YouTube and yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, but the, 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 the dilemma with all of these time traveling episodes is the, the problem that it creates having time travel, you know, and there's a conflict with, um, with the laws of physics as we currently know it. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a lot of issues here. There's a lot of issues with time travel and, and yeah. it's handled differently in different science fiction. It's handled differently in different Star Trek episodes. Oh, we'll have season. a whole episode about time travel. Like, <laughs> right? Let's well, go well, to Sikwapu well, well, and Stu. We haven't heard from them at all. Yeah, definitely. I just want to say the one thing that that it, I was super glad that we've already got a an episode on fashion coming up in December because when they they, they immediately went to 22 years ahead. I thought, oh, 22 years ahead, you need shiny belts. I thought that was really funny. So, um, but yeah, I do want to get everybody's um, uh, thoughts on things. Stu, what do you think? Um, uh, what about the, uh, the future? Will we build mathematical models and decide to sacrifice ourselves? Or do you see that already happening? I'm thinking that we'll probably build a computers to plan out uh, war strategies. Uh, I don't think we'll actually get them to act them out in the way that that our, uh, original episode had that, you know, because um, it's going to be uh, problematic trying to convince people uh, to sacrifice themselves, I think, in the way. I think maybe that's what they were going for, like, you know, because uh, I've probably been talking before I came to this room about <coughs> how people are convinced to do uh, to do sacrifice and to do, um, most people would say it's the, the part of the thing about war and most of the the stuff I read from military people and books is that it's not the actual going to war. It's not the, it's, it's the camaraderie and the people on either side of them that actually say it's the experience they remember the most. Um, so... I don't know if this system would work because it takes away that human aspect. Um, and I don't think people would be then as willing to sacrifice themselves the same way that you'd sacrifice yourself for uh, one of your brothers in arms you know, on the battlefield because you form bonds that make you do courageous things. And I think with that out of the picture, people would be uh, a, lost, a lot 
uh, less, uh, a lot more reluctant uh, to go. Um, but I think, yeah, they probably would use it in a way to help predict battles. Um, I'm sure they already do now, probably in some case. But yeah, whether they'll be able to build an algorithm smart enough to predict battle outcomes and things like that on that, that scale would be interesting. But um, I remember the original series had some great ideas, like stuff like that. And, and that one in particular was a great idea about a society <coughs> that had just become so used to war <laughs> that they um, uh, systemized it instead of just said, let's just let computers decide it so it's more efficient. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Stu. Uh, you said a word that just uh, triggered me when you said the word predict. That exactly leads into uh, the next episode we watched, the, the final of the three. Uh, so, T, why don't we um, move there? If you have anything else to say on, on what the, the stage has commented, please do so. And then maybe a summary of the final episode. Yeah, it's just uh, predictions being one of the hallmarks of a good model. The next episode is statistical probabilities. From Deep Space Nine... Uh, season 6, Episode 9, first aired on the 22nd of February, 1997. So, in this episode, Bashir helps a group of eccentric fellow, fellow genetically engineered humans try and make a useful contribution to the Federation, uh, and the Dominion offers to sign a truce with the Federation as a result. So, I chose this episode because I thought it was a great example of how calculations can give you an advantage in war, especially when those calculations employ outside-the-box thinking and utilizing people's unique talents to create an advantage. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a really good episode. I, I really enjoyed this episode and I have a lot of questions for the stage. Um, this one did hit me uh, where they were talking about genetically engineering and the DNA sequencing. And um, I just, I've got a, a list of questions. I'm just wondering which I should ask first, but let's start with different people have different talents because they are unique. We all are. And they leave their impact in, uh, on the world as a result of their uniqueness. How about you, T? Do you have, or can you think of a talent that someone has because they are unique? I'm saying unique a bit in air quotes here. And how might we use those talents to better the world. Let's talk about that first. Yeah, I think that our uniqueness gives you know, and our talents are part of, very much part of, you know, how we're remembered by fr our friends and how we're recognized as uh, pillars of, of, of communities. Um, and I can think of a really good example. Um, I don't want to name any names, but the other day I was in, in, a, in a, a clubhouse room and two people who I, you know, who I enjoy talking to a lot, um, were in a, a, a it was just a, a disagreement and things got heated. And it was one of those situations where, you know, <laughs> it was like, fuck you, fuck you, I'm, I'm going to leave and take my, take my toys and go somewhere else, right? And, and that's sort of like how it ended. And 
everything ended up fine because later the person came back, apologies were exchanged, everything was good. But there was one person who um, came in and really gave a, a good summary of sort of like what went wrong. And they did so in a way where they were highlighting just how deep their understanding of communication was. And the whole room, first of all, the person who um, was, was, you know, sort of being talked to about the situation and how things might have gone better and the communication that might have been improved, the, the whole room recognized just how valuable that contribution to uh, the community was. The whole, the whole world recognized just how the whole room recognized just how important that contribution was because what had happened was not only had the person who was being talked to about the situation learned something, but the whole room had learned something. And it was because of this person's unique ability to communicate, to explain communication, and to help others in their communication that I, I don't see that type of talent, that type of skill, that unique ability to communicate and help others communicate in other people. And I thought that that was something that was really unique and special and, and something that I wish other people had, but then they, it wouldn't be unique. And so, that's just the world we live in. Well, thank you for that share. Yeah, we find um, a lot of unique people here on Clubhouse. And, um, and when we combine our talents, we get rooms like this, <laughs> where we have a stage full of uh, amazing contributors. Um, so I'll put that question to uh, Kyle and Ryan uh, as well is, um, you know, do you have or can you think of a talent that someone has because they are unique and, and how might we be able to use that to better the world? Um, I also wanted to add in a, a little bit because we saw the doctor here advocate for this group of unique individuals who clearly had amazing talents. And, uh, and I just wanted to know whether there was a time when you had wished you had an advocate to legitimize your work or claim, if you are the one with the unique talent, or if you've been able to be that person to advocate for somebody else. Um, so, uh, and, and I'll just put this out there for clarity as well, because um, I want to be able to make sure people feel uh, safe to be vulnerable. Uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD uh, a few years ago, and it made sense to me. And uh, once I went through sort of the the um, uh, realization that that kind of explained a bit of why I struggled and, and letting go of trying to work like everybody else and instead work in a way that that actually worked for me, uh, I don't feel I have the same struggles I used to have. And I, I don't even wear it really as a, uh, a defining feature, but I, I do understand uh, different brains. And so, um, so when I saw this episode, 
I saw myself in each of those characters. <laughs> um, and so anybody who's seen the episode uh, may recognize that as well. I know that um, some people have seen them as extreme disorders, but I just saw them as little personality traits. And so um, so I, if anybody wanted to share and be vulnerable in that way, I, I wanted to make sure that they knew that I empathized with them. Uh, so, so once again, is there a time when you wished you had an advocate to legitimize your work or your claim, or have you been that advocate? And, um, and do you have, or do you think, or can you think of a talent that someone else has and how might we be able to use that to better the world? Um, so Ryan, do you want to answer that question? Uh, yeah. So it's sort of a two part answer. What I find really fascinating about that episode, and, and I too am, am an ADD uh, dyslexia kid, um, and I was diagnosed pretty early on, but in the 1980s, there just wasn't the knowledge base that there is now. They were still trying to treat it with amphetamines, and they still do to some extent, but back then that was like, just drug them up and throw them back into the fire. And, um, and so when that episode aired, also recognized myself, uh, jealous of Bashir for having the opportunity to be augmented, to be better than what he could be. And I, I was always jealous of that. I had always wished that, that I had lived in a time where my parents could have electively change my DNA. Um, so that's part one. Part two is the acknowledgement that these folks became useful uh, to society as a war implementation, as something to do in a war. And uh, that aspect is a little terrifying to me. Um, because it's, it's not that we're using those people's talents for the greater good, right? It's, it's still to some degree exploitation and, and what benefits the Federation. And if, if I'm going to be honest, like I see the criticism of the Federation from other species that, that seem to be very offended by it, this idea of homogeny. Like I get the Klingons and how they would look at the Federation and be like, the fuck, why, why are you trying to turn everything into vanilla? Um, and, and that definitely shows that attitude shows when it comes to how they treat augments and people that are what we would consider on the spectrum today. Um, so yeah, I'm Ryan. I've landed. Thank you, Ryan. I, I really appreciate that. T, did you have any response to Ryan? Um, yeah, I mean, just a, 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 in, incredible share. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Ryan. The, um, uh, these are these are tough topics, and it's one of those things where I want to recognize the the bravery of just you know what was said on the stage here. So thank you for that. Thank you, T. Um, I'll move to, to Sean now and um, put the the question to him. You can talk about the the episode statistics probabilities and just wondering uh if you have or you can think of a talent that someone else has and uh and how we might be able to use that to better the world or if you've had to advocate for somebody well um everyone 
okay, contributing to our society, people have unique contributions. And people seem to be gifted with special abilities. And so when you have a community of humans that come together and decide to live under a, a nation or in a country and unite, then you can obviously add that to the collective, the board collective. No, I mean the collective of that particular society. Um, I don't want to really talk about my contributions or other people's contributions. I sort of want to go a little off of your question here in regards to this episode. So at one point, um, I, I don't remember this episode much, but I've been reviewing it while we've been sitting here. They were going to go and try to help end the war by giving some information, which would have gotten them in deep kimchi uh, treason, correct? Is, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay, so I'm thinking, so this made me think of Jane Fonda, and this was before all of your time probably, but it was before my time too. I don't even remember, you know, I remember reading about it after the fact years later, but Jane Fonda had been active in the anti-war movement, in the pro-Indian movement, and um, she decided she wanted to do something. So she actually went to, after they invited her, she went to Hanoi and went to North Vietnam. In 1972, after we had been at war for many years, since that Gulf of Tonkin incident, which I think was in 62, before Kennedy was assassinated. But um, so she did what she thought was the good thing to do. And she immediately was branded as a traitor, as, uh, you know, uh, Hanoi um, Jane or whatever. And so in retrospect, she's had to apologize to the to the veterans because we had 58,000 Americans die in Vietnam. And I think it was a pretty useless war. Um, considering that our LG washing machine was made in Vietnam, it's like, what did it really do except maybe set back Vietnam a number of years? Um, you know, it's like, um, so she did what she had to do at the time. She thought she was doing the right thing. She didn't get stopped from doing it. She went there. She was hated for that. And did it help in the war? I don't know. She even broadcast from Hanoi radio to the American bomber crews, please stop, do not bomb people. You're bombing farms and innocent civilians that are not even part of the war effort. And um, in my own family, my ex-wife's sister was married to a uh, Vietnam veteran and uh, he had lots of physical problems from spraying Agent Orange on the countryside and on humans. And he was, uh, he had the illustrious um, job of hanging outside of a helicopter and shooting people on the ground, not knowing, you know, what their political ideology was and not knowing if there were pregnant women, babies, whatever, you know, because he was just doing what he did. And he had many bad dreams and terrible problems for the rest of his life from that. So I don't know. I was just thinking this episode might have been different if they had been, if they had gone through with their efforts and would it have helped the war? Did, did Jane Fonda help in the war? I don't know. It's just a, it just made me think of that, you know, and I'll land my plane there. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, and, and bringing it back to the, the war in this episode as well, because I was uh, a little bit taken aback by the characters 
and uh, and while they were working on calculations for this war, um, the the focus on them and their uniqueness uh, was what you know attracted me uh, to it, and and there were some uh, the there was one. I'll, I'll just explain why the, there was one scene where all of the officers were together having drinks and they were talking about, um, the people's advantages. And I thought that scene was so interesting because it could be, uh, taken that they were talking about anything back then or now and how people are polarized on it. So, um, so that's where my mind went, but I do, I do want to bring it back to the topic of the room as well, which is uh, the calculation uh, or the calculus of war. And so while you were speaking of that, Sean, I was, I was hoping that Charlotte was, was here and maybe wanted to um, give a share about that uh, uh, right now. And then uh, once she does a share, I'm just going to take a pause and ask T to give us a rundown of what will be happening uh, in the next couple of weeks for this podcast. And, um, and then we'll get back to the conversation and, and uh, maybe go a little bit of, of a popcorn style. So uh, this is Star Trek Sundays in Clubhouse. And uh, we're talking about the calculus of war today. So Charlotte, would you like to share? Yeah, sure. And, and Sean, thank you so much for, for, uh, uh, getting those dates in there in a in a more orderly uh, uh, manner that 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 uh, depicts more of the timeline with from sixty two on up. Um, the 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 fact remains that what I was stating earlier about uh, Star Trek and and um, giving us a place to go to understand or to play to put our heads in our 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 thoughts as as young people as children. Uh, in the 60s to, to understand. Um, and my interest in that war began when my brother was um, was drafted. Um, what happened with uh, Hanoi Jane uh, was was exposure of of um, what was happening in the war and and not very welcome. I think Sean, you may remember that she also had a lot of death threats and and things of that nature. And so, uh, extraordinary how she she came through this process and asking for forgiveness and uh, for connection with with some of the veterans. I, I I've worked a great deal with veterans who have served in in various wars, uh, World War II, Korean War. Vietnam War, the Gulf Wars, and so on, and um, there was definite opinions uh, still uh, about about uh, Hanoi Jane, and and so on, and and people who protested the war. Um, these are all things that that we're working through. You know, when 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 a country goes to war, we all go to war, whether we like it or not. Um, and uh, I'm looking at the time here. I wanted to say one more thing with regards to what's happening in Ukraine um, and what I was talking about, the, the story aspects of how we get into conflicts and how we get into wars, is that um, uh, when, when, when Russia went into Ukraine, they went in the worst time of the year. There's frozen land, there was mud. And that right there tells the troops and tells the leadership that there is a problem because 
you go in to, to be successful in your mission, whatever the mission is. And their mission, as I understand it, the motivation for going into Ukraine was to fight the Nazis. Uh, well, <laughs> there's, there's a big lie right there. And not only that, but the president, Zelensky, is Jewish. And so there's extraordinary stories that are concocted to, to begin these conflicts. And um, I just wanted to, to bring that in. Um, so anyway, thank you, Sean, for the clarity on that. And um, I'm going to land there. Uh, thank you very much, Charlotte. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying this conversation and I want to keep this going. Uh, we certainly are not going to uh, close the room. We'll keep it going. Uh, I just want to make sure that uh, T has time to share what he's curated for us for the next couple of weeks. So this is uh, Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse and our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. To be notified of future shows, please join the club by clicking uh, above the title of the room. We've got a schedule all the way until December when we'll end season one and go into season two into 2023. Um, and uh, today we're discussing the calculation of war. T, what do you have coming up for us in the coming weeks that people might be able to, uh, they, they can check the schedule and, uh, and then check out the episodes. Uh, yeah, the um, sounds funny to say 2023, doesn't it? It's like that's a that's a number. <laughs> I always I thought 2022 was funny. Now, now to hear that, wow. Um, Earth date October second, 2022. Resistance is futile, part one. Uh, starting with Q who are uh where the q sends the enterprise into the delta quadrant and in we introduce them to um q for the first or uh, the borg for the first time star trek first contract first contact uh, which is really about um uh the how the borg try and prevent warp from ever being in created on earth and then assimilation the episode from Picard, in which uh, Agnes becomes uh, the Borg Queen. It's a really good episode, in my opinion. After that, on the 9th, we have Who Are Q, uh, part one, starting with Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode in TNG, uh, which we get introduced to Q. Then Hide in Q, in which Riker is given Q powers, followed by True Q, in which a girl discovers that she is actually a Q. Um, after that, we have, on the 16th, primitive belief systems, starting with firstborns, who are the Watchers, and Homeward. After that, the Earth Day 1023, we have the rules of acquisition about the Ferengi, starting with the rules of acquisition, the episode, the McKee Part 1 and acquisition. And in the end of October, on the 30th, right before Halloween, we have What's So Funny?, about the humor of Star Trek, featuring Star Trek for the Voyage Home, the outrageous Akona, and the trouble with Tribbles. <laughs> Thank you, T. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to these. This is 
this is great. And uh, I really appreciate everybody who comes up on stage and sticks with us. Um, this has been absolutely a ride. I can't believe we're done eight week eight and we have uh, thoughts and plans for uh, going into 2023. It's absolutely incredible. So uh, we'll end it there for the day. Uh, thank you to Sean and Steve and Charlotte and Stu and Kyle and Ryan and Discordant Rhyme and uh, Jamesy and Christina and everybody who's been in the um, chat. And we will see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. on Clubhouse. <laughs>